right, welcome listeners. This is another episode of Filmed in Canada, a podcast about Canadian movies. I'm William Lee, and joining me again is... Alexander Cairns. All right. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, a fairly recent movie. Uh, Canadian m- movie, too. Fairly recent Canadian movie, yes. Yeah. So, uh, two points for it already, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll be talking about My Internship in Canada, which was uh, released... Uh, in at the end of 2015, where it was on the festival circuit in 2015. Yeah, I don't know what the theatrical situation was in Quebec. It actually is a French language film, mm-hmm. uh, first French language film that we've done on the podcast. Uh, uh, but yeah. it definitely got like a full theatrical release there, and then and here it was uh, just in like uh, limited run in some uh, at the Van City or Cinematheque. Yeah, yeah, it played at VIF first at the at the film festival first, and then um, and then had a limited run at the Cinematheque. Or sorry, at the Van City Theater, and then at the beginning of this year, was part of the Canada's Top Ten Film Festival. Um, so that so it would have toured the country as part of that festival. It is available on DVD or I think maybe some streaming services. Yeah, um, you can definitely get it on iTunes. Okay, and if you stick around to the end of uh, after if you stick around after our talk about my internship in Canada, we uh, bring you the first part of a discussion we had with uh, video essayists and YouTube sensations, Tony Joe and Taylor Ramos. And they're also just like really nice people too, so that's that's a plus. Sure, but that's not why we brought them on. No. Uh, yeah, I guess we didn't really know the, quali- <laughs> no. the quality of their character at that point. No, but they did turn out to be uh, yeah, very friendly, uh, warm people. Um, and they both, um, they're both active in the film industry, the, so uh, Taylor's an animator, and uh, and of course uh, Tony's an editor. So uh, stick around to the end. Hear us talk to uh, them. Right on. Um, so okay. what's what's going on here? We what? This is a movie, right? My internship in Canada. Yeah. Um, was there a question about whether it was a movie? It, no, but like, what's the movie about? What's the movie about? Okay. Yeah. That's a good question. What's the movie about? Well, who is the movie about? It's about everything, dude. It's about a lot of things. Yeah. It's about all of the things. Let me talk about the title first. Okay. Um, so the, the English translated, or not translated, but the English title is My, Inter- My Internship in Canada, yeah. which I think leads you to think that the protagonist is an outsider right. visiting Canada. I think it's a little bit misleading because the, the French title, uh, Gibor s'en va t'en That's all, all together. Gibor s'en va t'en Just s'en va t'en Okay. Yeah. Loosely translated is, is like Gibor goes to war. Right? Yeah, well, I think that's the direct, the direct translation. The, the thing with the, um, the self-reflexive verbs with the... With a T apostrophe, there's. I think there's a there's a there's a play on words in there that I don't quite understand myself. Yeah, neither do I. But but, the, but of course that suggests that the main character is, uh, is Steve Gibor, which is who's a federal member of parliament, um, who's um, running around in his uh, rural Quebec riding, um, trying to get. Um, the opinions of his uh, electorate, or is that, is that what you call them, their electorate? Yeah. Yeah, the people that he serves. So he is trying to, he's trying to survey them for their opinion on whether he should vote for or against Canada's involvement in war. And the reason he's doing that is because he is an independent member of parliament, and one of the conservative MPs is incapacitated and can't vote, and and the conservatives only have two extra seats in the house over the liberals. 
I guess none of the other parties have any seats, Green or NDP. Um, and the speaker does not get to cast a vote unless it's a deciding vote. And so now Steve Gibor, this independent MP, is essentially essentially the, the, the decision on whether or not to go to war is, is riding entirely in his on his plate or in his hands or right. whatever sort of metaphor. Yeah, yeah. So his so his one vote actually matters in this situation. Uh, so back to the title. Do you prefer my internship in Canada or Gibert goes to war? Well, so Gibor, sorry, Gibor goes to war. That's uh, that, I, I, it's an interesting concept that it isn't just a direct translation of the title. Mm-hmm. And that it is this different thing, and that it brings in the, the English title brings in the outsider aspect of it because um, the story is at least introduced through this Haitian gentleman who comes to intern with Gibor mm-hmm. uh, and learn about Canadian politics and and just sort of assist in his in his process of running this writing. His name is uh, Sovereign. Sovereign, yeah. yeah. Which what's the what does that mean? It's like a sovereign nation. It's like an independent. Independent. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, independent. Or if somebody was a, if you were address somebody as a sovereign, aren't they like a head of state or something? Yes. Yeah. Or it's a it's a currency in somewhere. No. I don't know. Okay. Well. All right. Someone can fact check that and email us. Fucking do that. Yeah. Enlighten um, us about uh, the origin of the word sovereign or how it's used in its many ways. Uh, but yeah, the, well, the movie sets up. like so many things and I'm like super fucking hyped up on this movie I love it it's the best but the 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 fact that the title is different in English and French uh, is is almost another it's 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 a it's a part of the movie like it's not just oh they wanted to come up with a cooler title in English it's like I I I can imagine the director it's not a cool using that as an opportunity to create a further layer to the storytelling okay um, we don't know for sure if the if the director offered that chose the English the, title, yeah. English title, but I but, but that's my supposition. Okay, all right. So you don't mind that it's you don't mind the title, yeah. Okay, so the title is not a big deal, but I think it just does kind of change the flavor of it. Yeah, but but I at the same time I don't think you can definitively say that one character or the other is the protagonist in that sense because the two of them are really centrally involved in the in the whole plot and both of them both of them influence each other in how it develops and i would say that sovereign almost has more of an impact even though he is this independent hmm. um he's certainly much more intelligent when it comes to canadian politics than any of the canadians within the movie are well he's more he's more learned about um He's more learned the political about, structure, yeah, but the different political systems, and he's he's well versed in uh, a lot of uh, political thinkers. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, he's but he's inexperienced. Um, sure, yeah. But the movie does start with him and end with him. Sure, that's true. Yeah, not well, uh, except for the little tag at the end. We'll get into um, little uh, specific plot details later on. Mm-hmm. Um, what else have we? Uh, what have, what else have we missed about the? About the uh, plot. That's, that's the basic setup. He, yeah. the Sovereign shows up, and then Gibor has to make this decision as to whether or not he will vote. I guess one, one key element of it is that he doesn't fly, so he's having to drive to all the different locations that he's right. going to, and he's basically surveying the population yeah. to determine... There's, and there's like three main uh, townships that he's got to get to over a, a vast region that uh, is described three times the size of Haiti. Yeah, they deliberately pick the largest riding in Quebec for the setting of this movie 
so that he's con- it, it, so that it's a constant struggle for him to get from one place to the next. Yeah. Actually, I can't. I can't confidently say that it is the largest riding in Quebec, but it probably is. Well, I think once we get into those rural areas, they're all pretty vast. Yeah. Uh, very possibly, it is the largest, and our Quebec listeners will um, will pipe up if we are incorrect and email us. Yeah. The director, Philippe Fallardeau. 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 Thank you. So this is his seventh feature. Yeah. Um, he actually studied uh, political science when he was in university before mm-hmm. he became a filmmaker. Uh, have you seen any of his other movies? I have not. I actually own Monsieur Lazar because the Blu-ray was really cheap, but oh, I yeah. haven't actually watched it yet. I have, I have that, and I've seen that. That's that's excellent. Yeah, uh, and that one is a like a very well. It's a, that's a serious drama mm-hmm. uh, with some like um, some emotional weight to it. So it was it was nice to to see him do something that is um, uh, a bit lighter, but but not uh, without substance yeah um so yeah i guess one thing to clarify is that it is a comedy that's right it yeah. is a comedy. i think you if you wanted to further categorize it it's a satire yeah it's it's about how silly the the bureaucracy the bureaucracy is and the complications of of politics mm-hmm. um do you think Fallardo, who also wrote it do you think he has a position on Canadian politics or, or in this situation? Do you, think he is, do you think he is trying to tell the story of, of an MP who has good intentions and is trying to um, serve his, uh, his constituents? Or is it a cynical exercise to say um, politics is stupid? I, I, I guess there's a lot of nuance to it. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't really say that. The movie isn't making one single statement. No, no, it's it's pretty complex. Yeah, and I I even thought about it. I had to think about it uh, quite a bit to to resolve for myself like where the movie falls. Yeah, um, and uh, I'll get to that a little bit later. Yeah, but, I yeah. think. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, like you said, we'll get to it later. But yeah. okay. Um, so and the one well, then actually and and to get back to the director, um, I know he did at least one Hollywood production with. Um, What's her face? Blonde actor. Uh, oh, I don't know. She was in Mud. Reese Witherspoon. Not, yeah, I was going to say Renee Selweger, but that's definitely not her. Yeah, he made a movie with Reese Witherspoon, oh. um, where she like rescues some Sudanese people. Maybe I think it is. Oh, this one I don't know about. Um, yeah, The Good Lie. Okay. Yeah, a group of Sudanese refugees given the chance to resettle in America arrive in Kansas City, Missouri, where their encounter with an employment agency counselor forever changes all of their lives. Hmm. So that one was a Hollywood production? Yes. So he was a gun for hire for that one, I guess? Yeah, he didn't write it. Ah, okay. So Reese Witherspoon is not in this movie, but um, Steve uh, Gibord is played by Patrick Huard. And uh, his wife Suzanne is played by. Are we going to do the really obnoxious, like, say everything in French accents thing? Like, Patrick Huard. That was pretty good. If you can keep it up, you're welcome to do it. No, I, I, I'm an English person, yeah. and if I say something French, I'm going to say it with an English accent because fuck any, anyone who goes like Patrick Huard, but then <laughs> but then continues the rest of their conversation in a total English accent. Not to insult any French speaking people. I like French speaking people, but. I don't like English-speaking people not gonna, who put on a French accent. We're not going to put on the accent. Okay. Well, I was going to say I was going to say um, um, Suzanne, who is uh, Steve's wife, is played by 
uh, Suzanne Clément. Yes. Now, I think I should say Clément because that's her name. Yeah, but you're not going to say like Clément. But I'm, not say say, but I'm not going to say Clement. Yeah. Okay. No, no, that's, that's, that's fair. <laughs> okay. Because and the other, cause the other character in the movie is Souverain, right? Yeah. Sovereign. Okay. Yeah. Are we going to say Sovereign instead of Souverain? <laughs> yeah, I don't mind saying Sovereign. <laughs> okay. And then his, his daughter, Loon. Right. Played by uh, Clint. <laughs> Clémence Dufresne Del, Delière. Oh, that's uh, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, Trey Bell. Okay. Um, I was going to say, I was going to say, um, uh, Patrick Huard and Suzanne Clément, they were, they were also in uh, Mommy, and I didn't realize that. Yeah. They're, both of them are in Mommy. You knew that Suzanne Clément was Yes, in, but I mean, uh, I mean yeah, uh, that two of them were together. Yeah, she, he's the, uh, he's, he's the guy the guy that she ends up dating at one point. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I think he's a neighbor. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. And then and then like the, there's a there's that whole scene where they're in the parking lot and he like the kid freaks out and 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 the guy like grabs him and it gets a bit intense. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Okay. All right. I should uh, revisit that. And that's a good movie. That's an excellent movie. Yeah. Back to uh, back to my internship in Canada. Um, I, and, and then he's also known for Starbuck, yeah? Oh, yes. I haven't seen that, though. Yeah. You've seen it? I have not seen it. Okay. I understand the general premise of it, though. Right. Um, but we don't need to get into that. It's about finding the best coffee beans. No. no? Okay. The other thing <laughs> I wanted to get into, I really enjoyed the visual style of this movie. I oh, yeah. I thought it was very visually interesting. Yeah. Um, and uh, there was one point where um, I heard you laugh out loud. And I had the I had the same reaction. Internally. Except you just don't laugh too loud well, when the, you the first when time you're I watch it. a movie. The first time I saw it, I laughed. But this yeah, time, I yeah. forgot about it the second time. So yeah. yeah, but I am. I have to confess, I am a sucker for split screen. Yeah, and he uses split screen a lot in this. So movie. you're definitely looking forward to that. To the De Palma retrospective. Oh yes. <laughs> the um, I'm thinking of Phantom of the Paradise. Uh, I think there's split screen and. and all of his movies, but like movies, yeah. the the split screen in Phantom of the Paris, Paradise seemed kind of redundant to me because like they're both in like very similar proximity to each other. Yeah, it's like it's time. showing the bomb on the car that's going onto the stage, and then it's showing the stage from from like a higher vantage point. Oh yeah, okay. But you're kind of getting the same. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But I didn't. Why not? I, <laughs> but there's a there's a scene in this one where it is um, <laughs> where they use split screen, uh, and it's not. You would think that it was not necessary because there's two characters in the same frame. But you so don't you don't realize that you don't until realize that after. at first because when because they're um, one they're, character's on the right side and one's on the left side. Yeah. Um, but the composition actually looks better when he splits it and he reverses them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then he uh, then they slide apart to. But to but it the frame. also I, I think the reason one of the, like the stylistic reasons that he's using the split screen a lot is to kind of give it that journalistic. Uh, feel, but it also it also plays into the satire as well. I think where it, it's like it's like this impactful thing. Like when you're using split screen, it's like intense. And you know, it, I, I don't. I'm not being. I'm not making my point that well. But the fact that he deconstructs that by like flipping the split split screen and showing the two characters in the same environment, it's 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 almost like a visual satirical moment. Mm-hmm. But but like I said, I'm not articulating that. Well, I like what you said about um, you made. You thought it felt journalistic. 
give you a sense that it was more journalistic? Was it like like a TV screen sliding or something? Or uh, well, but just like like split screen, I'm thinking of like two pundits. Like okay. one is in Washington and one is in New York, and they're both well, screaming at each other, and like yeah, and, they're both on two the, separate sides of the screen. Well, one of the earliest uh, split screen moments, uh, he uh, Gibor is talking to the mayor of another town, and so they are having a conversation. Um, it's like it would be two pundits on the on the on TV talking together, yeah. and he combines the split screen so that they, the, the the object in the, in the middle is yeah. shared. So yeah. you, it almost it almost blends this, the the two frames together. Yeah. I think that that was a nice touch. Yeah, from a visual spe- standpoint as well, the um, the overhead shots are mm. really cool. Where they, uh, when they're going from location to location, he uh, he cuts in a lot of a lot of aer- aerial from imagery the, from the air. Yeah, uh, and then that's uh, that's also contrasted with like the the map showing the the red line moving on the map it's, yeah yeah visually there's a lot to enjoy the performances there's a lot to there's lots to enjoy in the performances i think yeah i really liked um um patrick Huard. his portrayal of of that character uh of the politician character i think is um it really makes you feel warm toward him like mm-hmm. um he seems like a decent person Mm-hmm. And he, uh, and while he's he's going around and he's very earnest about like I want to get everyone's opinions on this on this issue, he's not above like getting drunk and saying like oh we should just go punch those people in the face or <laughs> or he drives by um, he drives by one character and gives them the Trudeau salute yeah by Trudeau salute I mean uh, driving by and giving them the bird and by the bird I mean you uh, raise your, your middle finger and by middle finger I mean your tongue's flip you off. off yeah all right so just to be clear. <laughs> and I've never heard it called the Trudeau salute. Oh, I've heard it just called the Trudeau salute. Have you? Because have you have you seen like clips of Trudeau giving the finger to people? This is Pierre Elliott Trudeau, the senior Trudeau. Okay, yes, yes. <laughs> not the current PM. <laughs> no, wouldn't think that he would have had enough time to yeah. to have a, a lewd gesture named after him. <laughs> there was um, except for maybe shoving someone. There's also a second uh, the, tr- the, the Trudeau shove <laughs> for the new for the new PM. Yeah. Uh, what was that called? Like Ding Dong Gate or? Oh, I don't know. I I kind of <laughs> no. I didn't pay attention to that. There, but like where you push the person, and yes. they had a name. Oh, did they? Yeah, it was Something in Gate. It, it was, was in gate. the uh, it was in the House of Commons, right? Ding Dong Gate is a reference to a movie where a person may or may not get his ding dong ripped off, and it became a thing on the internet, mostly through the Flophouse podcast, which is amazing. Okay. Anyway. I didn't quite get that reference. Still, no. even with that explanation, I didn't get that reference. <laughs> so there's a second Trudeau reference. Matter. There's a second Pierre Elliott Trudeau reference in the movie where uh, the mayor says, "Just watch me." So I think there's two conscious, at least two conscious, Pierre Elliott Trudeau moments in the movie. I, d- I don't know enough about that guy to like know that those were references. Unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. You have to take my word for it. Okay. And our uh, our listenership will. Chime Correct in you if, if you're, you're wrong. wrong. And email. <laughs> Send us emails. Why do I say all this? It's just to say that the, the movie, I think, is steeped in a certain uh, savviness about politics. Yeah. And sort of a, and it's, I think it's drawing on some knowledge of, uh, of memorable moments in Canadian politics. I think it's a smart political satire. Yeah. Um, it's a political satire, but I think it's also... If maybe not necessarily a cultural satire, but it certainly is presenting like all of Canadian culture in one package. And it's definitely like the most Canadian movie we've watched. 
If you mean like it reflects a lot of the conflicting values in contemporary society, yeah, I think that's true. Well, not even just conflicting values, but just the fact that the the main characters have to cover such large distances to get from one point to the next. You know, the wilderness aspect of it, so obviously, um, you know, repeat listeners might have a hint as to what our leaf rating will be. The language used, the aboriginal, aboriginal component of the story, um, you know, the, the road blockages, the, the, the loggers, the miners, like the sort of the small town versus the big town, the, like the hippies that come in to, to, to protest at one point. Um, but what, what sticks out to me more than anything is the language, really, because there, there are a few sort of key scenes where one character is speaking in French and the other is responding in English. And that, I just don't think that would happen anywhere else. Like, in Canada? Yeah. True. Uh, we, I, I'm definitely not the person to like talk like eloquently about the political aspect of this movie, but it certainly feels like it it portrays its political message very clearly. And I understood all of the various elements of of the Canadian political system that led into the plot and and how it developed. It's pretty well explained. Yeah. Um, thanks to the presence of uh, sovereign, so. Um, People have to explain to him a little bit about the nuances of Canada, and then he he, te- he tells his um, um, his family in, in back in Haiti what's happening. So yeah, it's 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 well mapped out. I think it, it the, it's well written in that respect. Yeah. Speaking of the uh, contemporary references, I think I think that um, the uh, prime minister in this in this movie very obviously a stand-in for Stephen Harper. Yeah. I think that is going to date the movie. Something well, I think it's supposed. It's I, I. I think it's intentionally dated in a way because it, although they don't mention what war they're talking about. No. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is. It is definitely vague in that sense, and it does. It does open the movie by by the guy speaking to the camera saying, "This hasn't, These, happened, the, the, this hasn't happened yet, but it will soon." Yeah. Um, and so you know, perhaps it's it's projecting a future where where Harper stayed in power for another five or ten years, well, and, this is, and this was what's going to happen. It's coming out of, um, it, it feels like a, the material came out of a time when there's frustration over uh, an overly conservative government, or a, a conservative government that has a majority mm-hmm. um, uh, lock on, on power, right? Yeah. Um, though this one presents it more, uh, more of a narrow majority. Um, so I... Who knows? Like, I think Canada has a reputation of being very liberal, and I think those dark years of Harper uh, are, are something that we're um, coming out of. So I, I don't know if, say, after a few more terms of, of liberal, liberal, liberal government, <laughs> governmentship, yeah. um, will this be forgotten as a, a quaint thing, as a quaint memory of what it was like, the frustrations of, of living under Stephen Harper? I don't think so because I feel like I feel like at, at the, the impression that I've gotten of Trudeau's tenures thus far is that like he's he's done well for Canada's image, but it but in a lot of case in or not not necessarily a lot, but in some cases he's he's continuing a lot of the same 
conservative policies and and creating new issues and so mm-hmm. there's like people always hate politicians yeah. and I mean that's even addressed in the movie at one point there. Um, Gibor says to says to Sovran. <laughs> oh no, you're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> says you're gonna to, have to punch yourself later. Gibor says to to Sovran that um, like, can you remember? Any politician that that has like a lasting positive legacy or yeah. something, something to that effect that, that ever went out on a high note. Or yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I th- I think, I think the the message of the movie stands whether or not it's critiquing conservatism or, or liberalism or mm. where wherever you fall on that spectrum. Like I said, I, th- I feel like it's much more nuanced than just saying this is wrong and this is right. Mm. Well, it's I don't think it's uh, about a right and wrong. It's about different positions for sure. But even in, in real life, uh, just because you have a change in government doesn't mean that there's going to be a change in. Uh, there's not a doesn't automatically signal a change in your uh, in your society and your living conditions, right? Yeah. So I I, I think uh, just because we've recently switched from conservatives to uh, to liberals, um, I haven't felt any changes. Yeah. But although although perhaps if if there is at least one thing that it is like definitively saying this is bad about our system it's that um like the dichotomy of liberal versus conservative creates these very strange situations where you you could potentially have this this weird swing vote mm. and um you know there like that 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 perhaps there should be more balance to the system so that you know you get more more of a nuanced understanding of you know what what the actual country thinks rather than Yes or no. Mm-hmm. Now, what does the country think, though? I think the message of the movie, or uh, I think one of one of the things the movie says, or just reflects, is that if you do pull the people, you get lots of um, different interest groups. Or, uh, but ultimately, um, people vote with their emotions rather than with any kind of logic or reason. Uh, or they vote with self-interest rather than with any ethics. Uh, one of the characters talks about, uh, maybe you, you quote somebody to say, um, the best argument against democracy is to talk to the public. Um, yeah, it's a Winston Churchill quote. Yeah, which I which I butchered here. So yeah, the the, the best argument against a democracy is a five-minute conversation with the average voter. And that comes across in the movie, I think, because uh, at first, uh, when, when Gibor goes to survey the people, um, it seems like he's very... It seems like he's um, optimistic about what's going to happen and he can and he can serve them better. But he finds out that there's all these... Immediately gets derailed. Yeah, because other people are planting ideas and, and swaying their opinions and people are for or against for the wrong reason. Um, so... It's um, you know, it builds on the uh, on the frustration for the character, and I think it uh, I think that is um, a reflection of a lot of uh, the disenfranchisement that people have for politics. Is one vote doesn't really matter because people vote just based on their self interests, or groups of people vote on their self interests. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you think your vote matters? This is a, this is an aside, and it doesn't, doesn't have that. Uh, well, much to so with me, but. no, it doesn't. Okay, then we're of the same mind. Yeah, on that. <laughs> more like more specifically, just because I would like I vote for the Green Party, and that is just a wasted vote in my particular riding. <laughs> like, there's there's no point to it. So if there was if there was any sort of 
um, proportional representation, which the Liberals have talked about introducing. I, f- I would feel like there was more more use in me voting, but as yeah. of, as of right now, there needs no to be use. a change in the political system. Again, we're of the same mind. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what f- for me the message that comes across from the movie is the powerlessness of the single vote, mm-hmm. or, or the or the or the um, the worthlessness of the single vote, yeah. um, and also the powerlessness of a single MP. Uh, who isn't going to tow a party line. Right. Um, the the voice of the people doesn't matter. Um, one person's belief in uh, in being accountable and ethical doesn't matter. Well, and, and and again, like to get to the nuance, like you're, it, it's kind of difficult to say like this is this is what it really means and this is where it comes down. But you've come up with with your solution to it or whatever. Yeah, the movie. Yeah, but um, one other sort of other nuanced element to it, I guess, is, or, or, or just another thing that it's commenting on is the idea of one person representing such a large group of people and, and the sort of futility in that as well. And the fact that Gibor at one point is offered, if, or if he votes for the war, then he will be given a, a seat with the conservatives and will be given a, um, a ministry position, a ministry position as the minister of Aboriginal affairs, which is to me just patently absurd that a white guy would be given that position, but, but it's all white guys who get voted in. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but like, that's just the inevitability of, uh, proportional, representation system or not proportional representation but like uh, a system where large groups of people are represented by one person and the single people the 390 people that are in power are predominantly white men because that's just how the power structure has existed in our country for the longest time Mm -hmm. and um, sort of along a similar line it definitely touches on kind of the casual racism that exists in our country I think Mm -hmm. um specifically with Sovereign's character. There's, uh, I, I was trying to keep track of exactly the, the four instances, but I think the first one was um, the, the mayor of, is it Ra- Ra- Rapids, Rapide? The, whatever, the main town. Mm-hmm. The mayor character says, like, you know, when we need, or like we don't need someone's, we don't need the third world's opinion or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... At one point, um, Gibor touches his his hair. His he's, he doesn't have an afro, but he touches his driving. his hair when they're driving. He's, he's drunk, though, right? Yeah. yeah, but but that's that's a thing that I know from black friends that I have. Like that's just very insulting, and like you just don't touch someone's hair because mm-hmm. like you don't do it to other pe- people of other races. But um, and then at one point he says like, "Oh, you can overturn the government." And Loon, the daughter, says, you know, we're not in Haiti. Right. <laughs> so, so to suppose that, you know. That's what happens in, in, in those countries. In yeah. those, in those types of places. Right. And then, oh, and then the other instance was when um, they're walking down the street in this small town and, and Sovereign sees another, another black person <laughs> and he immediately waves to him. He's like, yeah. oh, my God. And she's like, she's like, you realize there's more than one in this country. But, like, it's definitely something that I've. I've spoken to some black friends in, in Vancouver that like you don't see that many black people in the city. And it's just, it's just a very strange experience. 
it's I, I think the movie's highlighting that to counteract the overwhelming presumption that we are this mosaic or what is that what it is i think we cultural yeah. mosaic yes that supports all these different ethnic minorities and everything but it's not a perfect right system um going from racism to sexism yeah did you notice um to what lengths the the movie goes to uh, essentially emasculate gibor mm-hmm. um because he is um firstly he is a fallen hockey star Mm-hmm. So uh, he wasn't able to uh, to go further in his hockey career because he can't fly because he's he's got a mm-hmm. fear of flying. Yeah, when we're introduced to him, his office is above a lingerie shop. Yeah, and he gets um, he gets contrasting opinions from his wife and his daughter, and he is put in the situation where he is he potentially has a lot of power in his vote because it's a female MP who has been hospitalized. Mm-hmm. And he's also answering to um, a female, or not answering to, but he's being chased by a female reporter. He has to answer to that other mayor of the town that's waiting for him to come um, open their gazebo. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, and, oh, and he's and he's giving them a tree. Yes, to bring so, them a tree. Just he's so. bringing them wood. Does that mean anything? Nope. I don't think so. No. Do you say br- I'm going to bring you some wood? Hey, hey, baby. Oh, he's. I'm going to bring you some wood. Was he going in there to plant a seed? <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> it seems like there's a lot of. <laughs> there seems to be a lot of uh, like sexually tinged um, symbolism or something like or he, gen- genderly, genderly, genderly tinged. But he's like he because. He as like this um, as uh, this political figure as the hero of the movie, it seems like he is he is just wading through a lot of obstacles that are uh, female centric. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's interesting that the movie is constructed that way. I'm not sure if it's uh, I'm not I, I think it must be aware of the fact that um, that he is the, the, like a good a good portion of the well so. Like there aren't there aren't that many female characters in positions of power other than I guess the one mayor of that town, mm-hmm. but the women all exert power over Gibor. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like you don't other than other than the female MP who is Who's essentially yeah. yeah is essentially a zombie, yeah. and and when she when her character is introduced to us not physically but in just as as character in the uh, in the prime minister's chambers or his his version of a man cave or whatever (laughs) he's got his his band instruments and whatnot the yeah it's like she's she can't vote because she's been hospitalized because of a a botched boob job essentially Mm. and and it's played as this joke um not not necessarily for the audience for us watching it but for the characters they all kind of laugh at it like oh okay well you know like Hopefully she gets better soon, <laughs> but actually she's in a coma. Yeah, which is a good, which is a good punchline to that joke. I'm not. Isn't it? No, it's not. Sure, I don't know. <laughs> to make of that, you can you can laugh at it. Yeah, no problem. Okay. Yeah, and I'm not. I don't want to give away the ending or anything. But um, again, it's uh, it it is wrapped up in like whether Gibor has the ability to assert his political power. Um, that again rests in how certain female characters, uh, um, what role they have at the end of the movie. It directly affects him again, yeah. um, even twice. So it, it does seem like um, poor Gibor, he can't, 
he can't do uh, what he wants to do because of women. And that's, um, I don't know. I, I don't think it's making that statement. I think, I think it's, just, it's just presenting a balanced mm-hmm. perspective on, like, he's, he would inevitably hear from... Because like, you, you, you could also be downplaying the effect, the impact that the, that the men in the movie have as well. There's, um, there's the, like, the Aboriginal chief. Mm-hmm. There's, the, there's the logging trucker who himself but, isn't very assertive. He's, no, he's, he's got a bit of a speech impediment. Yeah, and he's... Uh, it seems like the person who is um, more sort of in that roadblock situation is a woman. Yeah. Yeah, she's telling him what to do. There's the prime minister, there's the mayor. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, th- I, think, I think the women certainly are more assertive and have more influence over the plot, which is an interesting, it's an interesting way to present the movie because typically there's, in, in, in this type of movie, there's no women or, you know, there's the, there's the single wife character and the single daughter character, but they're there only to really provide color to the main character who, you know, has to make this agonizing decision. But ultimately, um, I think it's just an accurate and fair way to portray the story that there would be a number of women influencing his decision. So like, yeah, rather than it, rather than it being emasculating, I think it's just being more inclusive. Yeah. So Good, good on you, Mr. Feller, Feller do? Feller do. Feller don't. Feller do or don't? Well, um, I think we, so we both agree it's a really good movie. Excellent movie. Yeah. Definitely the best Canadian movie. The best, the most best Canadian movie. Most best? Maybe it's um, the best, the best recent um, Canadian satire for sure. I don't, I don't, I. It's I, the most Canadian movie. I don't think there's a more Canadian movie. Well, it's very much about Canada. So, yeah, it's got that going for it. Mm -hmm. Um, Before we go to the scoring system, um, I want to pause at uh, one of our recurring segments, which is how is it Canadian? Uh, What makes it Canadian? What makes it Canadian? So just a word of clarification. uh, On our website, under the... What is it? I can't remember. There's a tab. There's a tab. There's a section on our website where we are building on a glossary of sorts where we try to identify some of the uh, characteristics of Canadian movies. Yep. So it's not, it, it's, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek if people haven't figured that out. But uh, Is it? Isn't it? I guess your descriptions are. Okay. Yeah. Are they funny? Sure. Yeah, I laughed. I chuckled. Okay. Great. Yeah. Well, <laughs> anyway, there's an ongoing, there's a, we're building a glossary. You remember that time that you told me I spent too much time explaining the leaf rating system? <laughs> Well, now it's my turn. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, you can, so if you go to that tab, if you go to that page, you can follow along. Now, um, there, did you identify anything that we could uh, cite we in, can our, add? In, our, in our glossary? Yeah. Well, it's the first French language, so. But that's not, that doesn't just make it Canadian. Because yeah, but the, but the fact that there are Anglophones and Francophones yeah. conversing with each other right. and both using their native tongues okay. is very Canadian. It's, pr- it's probably like the most Canadian thing that can ever happen. Okay, but see, this is very this is very serious. Elsewhere. But this is a very serious thing. Like, it, like I think scholarly, and you could put this down and say, yes, that is something that happens in Canadian cin- in yeah. cinema. But it's not as but it's not as funny as saying people keep slipping on uh, bananas. Bananas. Yeah. If that was a Canadian thing, 
what are you getting at, man? Like, like the fact that, the fact that, the fact that Canadian movies use American money isn't hilarious. I'm not like losing my, oh my God, like they got American money. (laughs) But it's a thing you can, but it's a thing you identify. And it's not because, it's not because, um, because America, because Canadians, you're saying are in you're, love say, with you're the saying feedback. that section of the website should be more focused on how Canadian movies are produced, not necessarily what is culturally Canadian. What shows up in a Canadian movie that helps you identify it if you didn't know it was a Canadian movie? Okay, and I think you're right. Okay, yeah, so, that, yeah, so for that, reason, yeah, that, that, that identifies it as Canadian, I would yeah. say. So, what are you gonna, how do you describe that entry into our glossary? Um, I don't know, you're better at that. Okay, so we're going to call that category. You're better than that. You're better at that. <laughs> okay, well, you'll, okay, you'll, you'll see it. At some Who's point. on first? <laughs> All right. I think, you got, I think you got my Anything meaning. else? I got your meaning. Anything um, else? Uh, characters screaming at a hockey game on television. Yes, hockey. But not, not just that they're playing hockey, but that the, the, the reaction characters to, the are way very people, passionately the, people, the way people watch hockey yeah. screaming at the television sure. screen and i feel the, like that's, that's, that's that more that's more player too. yeah yeah i uh, i wanted to offer something about uh, how natives are represented and it, it might be natives natives as natives as muggles or something like that <laughs> let me explain natives are people just like you and me what Okay, what I dude, this is like the episode that's gonna get us some actual like listenership, and, have, and you're and you're coming out with you're coming out with with like a defiantly racist comment here. I don't even know why it's racist, or like I don't I well, don't then, really care. I I know that you're a nice guy, but like, you gotta hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. Okay, what I what I think is interesting like, about the no, way but, that the First Nations are portrayed in this movie is that they are just another group of people with an interest. They do not have, as, as portrayed in this movie, they do not have a special tie to the earth. They are not more spiritual than other people. They are just another group of people. And I think that, I think that is uh, something that we'll see again and again. Um, last episode, we talked about Exotica. And in that, there was a native man who, uh, who met the... Um, the, the pet shop owner. Don McKellar. Don McKellar's character. When Don McKellar's character went to the ballet, one of the men he picked up was clearly a native man. But he was just like an urban native man, good-looking man. He didn't have any like... like any, so you're saying it's not, um, it's not, like, it's not fetishized or, yeah, or presented? Yeah, or stereotyped. Yeah, yeah. or like, like I'm thinking of the Revenant... Like the, native, the native characters in that movie are, but like, they, they have to are be very like otherworldly and yeah. yeah. What I'm getting at is, natives are just people. Yeah, yeah. But don't call them muggles, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Never do that because in the Harry Potter universe, a muggle is like a very insulting term. Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I don't. I don't read the books. Because the wizards think that they're better, and so they call the they call the normies muggles. It's not well, nice. Well, then fuck the wizards is all I can say about that. But you and I are muggles, so we're taking it back. <laughs> all right, so we'll have to, uh, we will rewrite that. For, oh, God, is uh, that, a, is that a Clerks 2 reference? I don't know taking if it, it was. back? <laughs> but Mr. Pillow Pants certainly is. Mr. Pillow Pants? No, never mind. <laughs> Good uh, God, man.
Okay, let's uh, let's go let's to hope, our. Let's hope we recover from. Let's that. go to our made up and arbitrary rating system. How many leaves are you going to give this thing? Infinite. Great. I'm going to give it 309. Out of whatever. We're at 47. Out of whatever. <laughs> We're at 47. Yeah. So it's either going to be infinite or some number out of 47. 309 out of 47. Great. Sounds That's good. That's fucking great because this is an awesome movie. It's a good this movie. movie. Recommend it. It's probably it's probably my favorite movie that we watched. Wow. That's uh, a big talk for this big movie. Better than Crash, says Alexander Cairns. <laughs> Which Crash? Both of them. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, uh, we're going to wrap up our talk about my internship in Canada. I'm going <laughs> to loop that. <laughs> Great. Hey, thanks for uh, staying with us. I hope you enjoyed that talk about my internship in Canada. Um, now we're gonna we're going to um, go to an interview we had with some special guests. We got um, yeah. YouTube stars Tony Joe and Taylor Ramos yeah, to talk to us. Yeah, so. so we we sat down with them for a length lengthy talk, and uh, we're gonna break that up into uh, two or more episodes so we will um, we'll uh, share with you some of that discussion uh, the first of it is here I guess do you, do you, want, just, do you want me just, to just say just, my name yeah just say your <laughs> names whatever uh, my name is Tony Joe I am the creator of uh, the YouTube series every frame of painting and as well we have uh, my name is Taylor Ramos and I was not properly credited with the creation of the YouTube channel Every Frame of Painting. She's, she's until, until recently. Until now. She's, she is, yeah, in, in all honesty, she is co-creator of Every Frame of Painting, and I have, I have been shamelessly stealing credit for two years, and I'm only now starting to give it back. <laughs> to, to be fair, I was the one who told you not to. So, I mean, it's not like you were this terrible, like, sinister person, like, sitting in the corner going, ha, 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 no credit for you. But already, as you can see, uh, we have conflict between the two of us, which is just <laughs> now, now that it's public, yeah. now that it's out in the exactly, open. Exactly, yeah. Sparks yeah. are going to fly on this podcast. <laughs> well, it's great. No, yeah, so I, um, I went to a, a screening of, uh, of Ben Wheatley's new film recently, High Rise. Oh, such and a then good he, film. Yeah, and then he did a, uh, a, like a master class after the screening, and Tony got up to, to ask a question, and I immediately recognized his voice and then harassed him afterward and, and asked him to come on our podcast. So thanks a lot for joining us, guys. Oh, thanks for, for being able to identify me so easily. <laughs> I just like this idea that you'll just get randomly accosted. <laughs> to, well, to be, fair, to be fair, you did post on Twitter that it was happening, so yes. I assumed you'd be there. Mm -hmm. And I did have my eye out for you because I, I wanted to have you on our podcast. Um, and, but then as soon as I heard your voice, I was like, yep, you have to chase that person you you get real points for tenacity there because <laughs> i would have if i were in your shoes i would have just stared at the back of my head and been like next time but a funny coincidence actually i um i was supposed to get the last question mm. they were like the woman was about to give a microphone to me and then like you were like like really like aggressively <laughs> putting your hand up and Aubrey. she gave it to you so i didn't get to ask my question 
but it worked out better because I got to meet you. Oh, that's no, that's great. It's actually really <laughs> funny. Um, the Van City Theater recently posted the video yeah. that they recorded of Ben Wheatley's masterclass, yeah. and so I just clicked on it in an attempt to to see you know, if you could see my face when I was asking the question. Yeah. So vain. And No, hold on. No, this is, this is, this is the weird part. Before, uh, before the last question, so second to last question, um, you can see the cameraman pan over to me because I've been holding my hand up for a while. Yeah. So I'm holding my hand up, like in close up, expecting to get the, the mic, and then I give the mic to somebody else, and I pretty much just give like the biggest like, fuck you shrug. <laughs> <laughs> and this is now on Vimeo, and I'm like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> so yeah, if you're listening, uh, please don't joke that yeah. and, and use it against me. <laughs> it, was, it was a pretty good... Um, so the uh, so the YouTube channel, um, Every Frame of Painting, that's been up for how long now? Oh god, the first video for Every Frame of Painting was uploaded, I, th- I believe it's April 16th or April 14th, 2014. So it's now been two years and a month. And you, uh, you've you gotten a lot of uh, attention for some of your videos. Uh, uh, the one that comes to mind is the one about how Vancouver never plays itself. Um, that got a lot of attention on uh, locally. It was in papers and on the news as well. People were pointing to this video. This must have been a slow news day. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny when we started getting all those messages from our friends. Yeah. It's that... like, hey, you're on the news. <laughs> that was, yeah, a friend of mine, Ben Kalaf, uh, he was watching the news and he actually recorded the news and sent it to me on Facebook. It was somebody actually talking about it. Like, oh, he's like, you're you're on the actual TV news, and I was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Well, it, it was. Uh, I think it was something that the whole city was interested in. So, uh, or could take pride in like having someone talk about that. Talk about how <laughs> take take pride in how we have no pride for ourselves. Yeah, yeah and essentially, we've been like systematically erased yeah. in a weird way. <laughs> yeah, that was that was actually something that came up in our. Uh, in our last interview with um, with Devin and Will, that there really is no thriving local cinema. Mm. Like there's a service industry, and then there are a number of independent filmmakers that are trying to do something, but aren't really getting the attention or, or funding that that they really mm-hmm. deserve in a lot of cases. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's such a strange it's such a strange city because it's officially referred to as the Vancouver film industry, but it really. The Vancouver film industry is, like, as you say, it's microscopic. Mm-hmm. And then next to it, there's the Vancouver film service industry, which is massive and is only going to get bigger because they, they've recently added, like, what is it, Supergirl is coming here now? Yeah. So we now have the entire DC television universe filmed in town. Yeah. There's all DC. Arrow, Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, yeah. now Supergirl. Um, yeah. uh, back, to the, um, back to the every frame of picture. Um, What's your process when you uh, when you go in to analyze a movie or analyze a filmmaker's technique? Are you like deliberately going in and look for one element of it and deconstruct how it happens, or are you living with films and and different footage for a long time to get an understanding of it before you can explain it? I don't. I uh, I, I cannot. Uh, imagine anybody who is doing video essays or just trying to understand film and literally seeing something for the first time and being able to deconstruct it. Uh, I feel like you need to see something over and over and over again because that's how filmmakers see it. You know, we I'm an editor. I see the same shot over and over and over again and I know all of the little nuances of, you know, a shot that I'm given. When does the actor blink? When does some idiot walk through the background? Like, all these kind of little things. So... When I'm staring at like 
say, a filmmaker's body of work or something, there's usually something that I see in a film that they make that strikes me, and then I think, like, well, I wonder if that's consistent across the entire body of work, and then I just sit down and I watch as much of it as I can, whether over, you know, in a short burst or a huge period of time, and then I'm like, well, what's, is this thing actually there? So, and that's when I come in. Yeah. <laughs> and he gives me all of this information, and I kind of sit there and go, Okay, let's see what we can make out of this. There's, there's definitely a big division of labor for every frame of painting in that most of the watching of the films and, and the cataloging of footage and the getting everything down is stuff that I will try to do by myself. Um, the big thing for, for Taylor whenever I hand something to Taylor is if I'm going to pick a clip, I want it to be the right clip to illustrate what I'm saying. But at the same time, the clip has to be readable to somebody who has no context whatsoever. That is a ridiculous bar to put on footage because the vast majority of footage in film, when you actually break it down, requires an immense amount of context to understand what's happening in the shot. So it's actually really, really hard to, to take something out and put it down in a video essay and to have it actually scan without any context whatsoever. A lot like, for instance, a lot of other video essays you'll watch, people will kind of explain the plot before they show you the shot or they'll have to just do a lot of explanatory stuff just to get the image to work. And so it takes a lot of hunting to find that image. And then as soon as I find it, because it takes me so long to find, and then I show it to her, and then I just gauge her reaction, like, does she understand what's going on? And if she gets it, then I'm like, oh, okay, that, that bit works. Mm-hmm. He, he, he usually, what ends up happening is that he'll show me, like, a pile of clips that he has. I call it a pile because I don't know how. Yeah, it's, it's a physical pile. Of yes, clips. it's like here, look. It feels like a pile, and he and he pretty much. I sit there, and he asks me, like, "Do I understand what's going on? Like, can I, extra, what can I extrapolate from this clip?" And then when we start talking about what the essay is going to be about, we'll reference back to those initial reactions to those clips. It's like, okay, if the what was a good example? There was that French film that we were watching oh, for the uh, previous video. Oh, yeah, we didn't include it. No, we uh, didn't. We didn't include it. Uh, so I was showing her clips from Agnès Valda's movie uh, Le Bonheur. From oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a great film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just saw that recently at Cinematheque. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. Unreal. And I, I showed her the sequence in Le Bonheur, if you remember. There's a scene where the husband tries to take uh, this girl out and have her become his mistress. Yeah, right? yeah. He takes her out on a date to this cafe. Yeah. And the way that sequence is shot and edited is they're flirting she, with each other. She's the server at the cafe, right? She, no, 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 she works at the uh, she works at the telegram office. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he takes her to the cafe. And the way that scene is shot and edited is the scene is about flirting, and the way the scene is shot is flirtatious. Uh, there are these kind of fun cuts off to the side for random things. The framing of shots really tells you what each person is thinking about and what they're looking at. For instance, he's totally looking at her boobs, and yeah. she is actually checking out a girl in the background who meets a guy and so it tells you like oh okay what what's he thinking about he's thinking about the physical and she's thinking about you know the romantic the emotional and it tells you that within about three seconds and she watched that clip with no context whatsoever and she's like oh i get it perfect and Mm -hmm. i thought it was like oh this is going to be great i'm going to use this in this editing essay it's going to be fantastic and by the time it was all cut together i was like can't use that clip yeah so Mm -hmm. That's what always happens. Usually, usually the, the clip that sets off the search is the one that never makes it to final cut, which sucks. Yeah. It, it's pretty much he has, he has a vague idea about what he wants to talk about, and then he gathers all this information, and then I help pare it all down. And then when it so gets... you're the editor. 
Yes, I'm the editor of the editor. <laughs> of the editor. Yes. Yeah. That's actually uh, some. So I get we every once in a while I'll get somebody at like who asks me why I don't take credit, especially for the earlier videos, and it's mostly because. Well, one of the one of the reasons there's a bunch. Um, one of the reasons is that I didn't know we didn't know how to talk about my job, like what I did, or even if it was a job, or even if it was a job, <laughs> like, or if it wasn't just like an informal like, here's here's watch the cut. Yeah, I'm gonna see like, how you react. I pretty well. I mean, that was the that was the like the really beginning ones when you actually had a like a very like like strong drive of what you wanted from the videos. And once we started, once you started getting to like the more abstract ideas is when I started coming in and being like, okay, we really need to focus this. We really need to focus what you're talking about because you would go off on these tangents that just didn't matter in any way. Yeah, so, so like for instance, the, the final videos are um, hopefully fairly cohesive from beginning to end. Like there's an argument that's introduced and, and by the end of it, it's at least we've, we've come to a certain thing about it. Um, if you watch the video essays, if you go back and watch it, the first 13, I want to say, yeah, the first 13 video essays up until I think David Fincher, all of those essays were based on ideas that I'd had for the previous four years. Like I'd been thinking about it and taking notes about it for four years. So when I made those first 13 or so, which is like the first six months of the channel. Well, not all of them. Yeah, not not all of them, uh, but like you close had, enough. You had trouble with the Satoshi Kon one. Yes, that's true. I did have trouble with the Satoshi Kon one, but like most of them, the others, you know, twelve or ten or whatever. Um, and Jackie Chan. Yeah. Jackie Chan was. Jackie, was a beast. Jackie Chan was was the big changeover. But basically, for the early ones, I, I'd had the thoughts years before, taken a bunch of notes, and so once it came time to do it, it was literally just a matter of editing it because I already had the thesis where it ended, all of that stuff. It had just been accumulated over four years of thinking mm -hmm. about it. So those first six months of, of videos came out like ridiculously fast. Then we hit Jackie Chan. <laughs> Jackie Chan was an idea that I'd had for a long time, but it required an enormous amount of watching and it also required an enormous amount of just finding a way to make it make sense because there are a million ways to, to shoot a fight scene and a million ways to talk about Jackie Chan. So it's like, okay, what's the through line for all of these things? And then- We watched a lot of Jackie Chan. There was a lot of Jackie Chan. If I can hazard a guess at what the through line was, I haven't watched that one in a while, but was it kind of to do with how he uses objects? Kind of. I th the, the through line for that one was more the idea of, it was, yeah, essentially the idea of, of action comedy, but it was essentially the idea of like, how does he set up all these pieces so that the fight matters and it's emotional and it's funny? Um, and so that's that's kind of the trickiest thing. It's not the argument is not told in like a strictly like a written essay format. It's actually like it kind of weaves in and out. But hopefully by the end of it, it's like okay, you get a sense of like what he's done from one side to the other. A lot of people uh, when they when they talk about Jackie Chan movies or like his you know his classic movies with the great fighting. Um, they will liken it to a dance sequence. And I think that really comes across in your essay because you break it down to, uh, to timing and rhythm and how, how a fight scene plays out with that timing and versus another, like, like a Hollywood fight scene, which doesn't have that as a concern. Yeah, which it doesn't even make, usually doesn't even make sense and you're not even looking. That's actually one of the problems I had uh, watching Civil War, uh, especially in 3D. You can't see anything no. at all. It, it, well, it's it's like the sort of like Michael Bay or like Paul yeah. Gass version of 
Yeah, just the shaky cam fight. Chaos, like you just have no idea what's going on. But yeah, I would take off my 3D glasses just because, like, I couldn't stand seeing. My, eye, my eyes just don't even make sense of 3D, so I just can't. I always end up going every once in a while. I hate it. I hate 3D movies so much. It's yeah, it's not really enjoyable. I will, I will say so. It, with reference to something in Civil War that I was thinking about, um, and with regards to Jackie Chan, I still consider that Hong Kong group, Jackie Chan, Sammo Hong, uh, Yuan Biao, that particular set of people, um, that's, to me, the, the finest fighting that's been ever captured in film. And it's it, one of the reasons like, it's so great is it's so inventive that it kind of changes your perspective on things. For instance, there's a fantastic fight scene in Police Story 2 where Jackie Chan uses a playground. It's a kid's playground with like a swing set and everything, and he fights in and around this playground. And it's a wonderful use of the environment and all the objects in the environment to win the fight. And it's, it's inventive and funny and the timing is great. But the best thing about it is after you watch that fight and you're walking down the street and you see a kid's playground, you start laughing. <laughs> like I see kids' playgrounds and I just start cracking up because now I imagine like, oh yeah, what would happen if you jumped from here to there? And it makes you feel like you're a kid again when you used to imagine like, what would it be like if I could jump from this roof to that roof? And that's like a high bar to set, the, that a fight could be so good and so memorable that it makes you reimagine your own environment as you walk around during the day. And, and they have so many of those sequences, that, that particular group in the 1980s. And like, for instance, kind of my thing with Civil War, um, the airport fight in the center of the film is, it's fine, you know. It's, it's pretty well put together. All the characters have different fighting styles that are expressive of who they are. But one of the things that I felt it was missing was I didn't think it needed to be at an airport. I mean, they did use the environment to a certain degree. Yeah. But I mean, Spider-Man and then the... They also needed it for scale with Ant-Man. Yeah. They, basically, they needed kind of a wide open space with scale and a couple of foreground objects. But put it to you this way, the next time I go to an airport, I'm not going to be thinking about that sequence. Mm. It, it's lacking that extra thing the thing that I would describe is like the great fight sequences like Jackie, he practically deconstructs the environment. It literally is like he's taking apart the environment piece by piece and then showing you how to reassemble it. Well, he has to. He has to in order to choreograph the fight. That's yeah. the whole point. No, but what I mean is, is the sense of feeling in the viewer when you see it. You're like, oh my God, someone thought of that. Someone thought of doing that. Like, yeah. I don't know. There's, there's a joy to it that is so simple and so, I think, timeless as opposed to you know, I saw Civil War, and I was like, oh, that's cool, but, you know, it's not going to make me rethink airports. But that's, like, my high bar. Rethink yeah. airports. So, um, <laughs> with, with your YouTube channel, it seems like if, if I could, again, hazard a guess at not just what one video is about, but kind of what you're doing as a whole. Um, I'm to, making it up as I go. <laughs> yeah, well, sure. But with any creative output, you can start to, you know, place importance on certain themes and, and whatever, and I'm, and I'm sure you've thought about that yourself. But um, one thing that sticks out to me is it, it, it sort of, it feels almost like a call to arms. It's like you're pointing out things that certain filmmakers do really well in order to kind of ignite the fire in other people to, to think like, you know, think about this when you're making a movie. Like, don't just, don't just take the easy way out. The, the, the thing that the one that pops to mind is the Edgar Wright video where you're kind of like, you know, all of these other comedies are just visually uninteresting, whereas Edgar Wright is able to do all of these things and, you know, just try it out. Like, do something rather than just place the camera in front of these 
actors and let them improvise. I mean, no, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm you're saying laughing. you. No, I'm saying <laughs> I you, were you, you say it. <laughs> um, it is definitely a learning tool. Mm-hmm. It is like it's not meant to be like a strict guide or or like definitive answer for everything. Though many people seem to want it to be, because if you've noticed, a lot of this stuff is contradictory. Yeah, and it's really just to let to just kind of remind people that you can do these things. You don't have to do it the way you keep seeing it. There are different ways to approach things, and there are, sometimes they're better. Sometimes they're not. It doesn't, it, it's just what you like to do. Yeah. Uh, one of the issues... Sorry, I just what like what one thing that I would always say for each video. Each video is effectively created to stand alone on on its own, so that effectively for the duration of those six or seven or eight minutes, I'm arguing that this is the best possible way to do this. Um, and then if some of the the videos intentionally contradict each other, if you actually watch them back to back, they would contradict each other. And it's like, yeah, there's no, you know, I think I said, filmmaking is not. There's no unified field theory of filmmaking well art subjective yeah and you can you can do whatever but i do i will say though if if there is one thing that i am adamantly against it is laziness Mm -hmm. um i cannot (laughs) i i cannot abide lazy filmmaking like i can abide bad filmmaking like if people reach for something and they're ambitious and they fall on their face I'll probably... That's why you love Miami Connection. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I, will, I will sometimes laugh mockingly at it, but then I will be like, you know what? I appreciated that you actually took that risk. But laziness is something that I'm just like, that's, that's just the most disheartening thing to watch. Like, what am I paying money to see? We're really just not caring. Yeah. That's, yeah to me, I don't care. It, to me, it's not even about lazy because I can be lazy. To me, it's about not caring when you've been given such a opportunity regardless of whether or not it's your first or hundredth or anything you're still given the opportunity to do it so do it like don't there are literally thousands of people who would love to have that opportunity don't waste it it's it's almost not fair (laughs) <laughs> yeah, aren't you also calling out audiences though for uh, for their laziness in, in terms of what they expe- what they accept and what they say is Taylor, Taylor's laughing right now because she knows that anything that I say here is going to be thrown back in my face at some point in the future. Um, yeah, why Evil not? Laughter. I was going to say yeah, why not? I'll just say yeah. Um, I don't I don't think it's it's necessarily the responsibility like. I don't have any desire to, to yell at an audience and be like, you guys are stupid for liking this thing. That's not, I don't care. Um, but there is the degree to which I'm like, if you, if you look at something a certain way, because there are ways of looking at films, um, if you look at it in a, in a slightly different way, if you look at it with an appreciation of craft, with an appreciation of, um, of, of visual storytelling, with an appreciation of composition or light or sound, uh, or you, literally anything. Yeah, if, yeah. <laughs> if you if you look at it that way, then it is like it's a really beautiful medium, and there's all this amazing stuff that is not really discussed. Overwhelmingly, people talk about stories and characters and plot. That's fine. That's how most people interact with stories, and that's those are the commonalities of a story as they're told on radio, as they're told in film. As you know, that's the common ground. 
But once you get into the fact that we're just going to talk about film and you think about, well, how is the story told as a film, then we get into the interesting stuff. And it's incredibly weird. The idea that you sit in a darkened room, something is projected 24 times a second, and you have some kind of common understanding of what's being shown next to the person next to you. Like, it's pretty strange. And there's a lot of great stuff in there. And if, if people want to see it that way, then awesome. That's fantastic. But I don't know. It, okay, so here's a question to you that I think you and I have argued before. Mm. Do you think it is the responsibility of artists to make ordinary people more visually literate? I don't think it's the responsibility, like, all the time. But if that's your, like... Oh, that's such a tricky question. That's why we always have this argument. I don't think but, you can really... Or sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Well, but do we expect every filmmaker or film craftsperson to be an artist? Well, or well, to be visually literate? Yeah. Well, no, it's not even that. It's do we expect everybody to take up that mantle? Because that's a very... Like, it's a hard thing to do. So I don't expect everybody to do it. Hmm. But I, th I feel like that's the job of the educational system. Like, you can't really... I don't know if you can really teach visual literacy within the context of the thing itself. Sure, in the same way that like, for instance, I would not expect uh, uh, an author of novels to, to write a book about grammar, Yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Like I wouldn't necessarily expect or, that. Or, or that you would learn about grammar like consciously by reading their, their book. Mm. You might come to understand the rules of it by just naturally reading it, but I, th I feel like it's harder with, with visual language though. It's because it's so, the thing with images is that they, they, they work really, really quickly. Yeah. They work far more quickly than words. And the, the tough thing isn't, I don't know, I feel like schools at some point in the future will probably have to teach visual literacy um, just because we've hit the point where if you don't do it, it's genuinely dangerous. I think another reason why it needs to be taught is because of Mad Max Free Road. Because like I spoke to so many people about that movie and there's like, it didn't really have a plot. Like, nothing happened. And it's like, well, no, they just didn't tell you what was happening. You had to look at what was happening and figure out, okay. Well, that's, that's become a really interesting... This is a discussion we have all the time, and it's about the truncated versions of information we are fed to via the Internet and how we're pretty much expected people to explain things to us in a short 40-character tweet, and then that's it. Yeah. Like to to ask to ask us to uh, look any deeper is like laughable at this point, and that's what really bothers me. Like the sense of like a sense of nuance has, I feel like has been completely depleted. That bothers me so much. It's, it's <laughs> either about it it's me. either the best thing ever or the worst thing ever, mm -hmm. mm. and it cannot be as. We hope this podcast will be reviewed mediocre. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it is it's oh God. I always get confused when people call the channel pretentious. Mm. Like I don't understand <laughs> why I, I understand that, exactly that criticism. Why. I understand exactly. I, well, other why. than the fact that you can sound condescending. Yeah. No. I. I, <laughs> I completely understand. Like, I. I don't. I don't understand it because we very specifically make sure to never say this is bad. This is how you're supposed to do. This is what you're supposed like. The whole, like, the whole point is to just it's, show that there's other stuff than the normal thing, like the, the thing that you're constantly fed. 
I, I wouldn't it's, say we, we never say this is bad. I mean, we, you, we, we, well, tow, we, we get pretty close to more or less explicitly saying, like, this is terrible. Yeah. But it's really one of those situations where it's like, if we set up these examples right, then, you know, the example will, pe- people will come to their, people will come to the conclusion that it sucks. Yeah. But, well, so it's kind of well, like a, a I mean, leading question. Even, I mean, it can be, but that doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean especially because we're using clips it doesn't necessarily mean we're condemning the movie as a whole which as for the last video that we released um so many people are talking about the fact that we used ant-man and it's like oh he must hate ant-man or they must hate ant-man it's, it, the movie was fine it was fine it was just that one scene seemed really weird you you just compared um Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. The time it takes for the for the actor to react to disappointment. Yeah. You, yeah. Or just, most, just the feeling of it. Most of the examples that we use for movies that like we like when we're trying to illustrate a point, really what we're trying to do is illustrate a point. Mm-hmm. And you have to use counterpoints to that, obviously, or else it's just nonsense. And it immediately comes off as you a know value an, an attack on Peyton Reed or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And it and really like most of the movies that we use, for the exception of a few, I don't mind. I don't like. I might not love them, but I don't hate them. Mm-hmm. I, it, it takes a lot for me to hate a movie. Mm-hmm. Like I appreciate the fact that people do it too much. Yeah. Uh, so does Tony. Like, I the only the only films I, I genuinely hate are the ones that are like the one thing that gets my goat more than anything is uh, the movie Crash by Paul Haggis. I, I despise it. Any, anything that has to do with trying to get some kind of pat on the back by saying something about race, for some reason that gets me like really, really, there's something about it that I want to like kill that person. <laughs> yeah, and like I, I know that there, there are certain movies that I, I'll, I'll, hate, I'll, I'll hate because of how they present like women or, sorry, is somebody trying it's to come just, in? Air oh, <laughs> uh, that was a good way. That was a good way for the sentence to be off. I'll hate some movies for the way they hate with women. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, I'll, I'll just like a movie for the way that they like for the way they treat they treat women, or the fact that the story is nonsensical, or anything like. Yeah, there are movies that you dislike, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to sit there and tell somebody that if they like that movie that they're a terrible person. Yeah. Like you can like whatever but movie you. Yeah. Yeah. Go nuts. I don't care. That's I, more, I more I more hate stuff when it is like more popular than it deserves to be. <laughs> and the, the only thing that comes to mind right now is Argo. That was a weird movie. Yeah. It's it, but, but like even like but popularity again, it, is for me is kind of like you know, if it gets popular or people like it, I'm like whatever, that's cool. It's not I'm not gonna like tell people like ah you why are you all liking it yeah it's like mm-hmm. whatever it's fine um, I I might be like hey if you liked that you might also like this thing which I think is better but I'm not gonna like yell at people for liking something because if it gives them enjoyment in their life then fantastic we get into this argument almost every single time we go see some sort of like superhero movie or just kind of some dumb movie especially remakes Tony hates remakes <laughs> <laughs> I hate remakes I hate. I hate remakes as an audience member. Uh, I think remakes are fantastic as a video essayist. Yeah. There's, well, there's mean, no better counterpoint example than the remake of the film. Yeah, yeah. Remake, remakes uh-huh. and sequels Tony has issues with. But, like, I love just being entertained sometimes. Mm-hmm. Especially if I'm paying money. Like, I expect it to be good and I expect it to be entertaining. It, like, 
I'll, I can I can forgive a lot of stuff when I go into a movie knowing what I'm getting. Mm-hmm. Like I paid for this movie for a very specific reason. I'm not expecting the moon. Like just I'm there for the dumb fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's why and everyone hated on Jupiter's ending last year, and I just don't get it because it's such a fun movie. I, I didn't I see it, yeah. so I don't know. But like. Like, I loved Jurassic World. I don't care what anybody says. It was funny. <laughs> it was fun to watch. It, there are just certain things, like, even if the story doesn't make sense or, like, the plot is kind of weird or the characters aren't that well developed, some things are just fun to watch. I just like watch, watching Chris Pratt run around doing stuff. Mm-hmm. I can watch hours of that. Mm-hmm. And they presented that to me. And he got dinosaurs. It's a win-win situation for me. I I, I, just... I would rather watch outtakes from Parks and Recreation <laughs> than Jurassic World again because the outtakes from from Parks and Recreation are at least Wonderful. two minutes long and are hysterical. Yeah. That's not something props can fix. Yeah. That's gonna take a little harder to fix. That that yeah. There there are some some people who are clearly like they have like a, a great comic gift and I'm like oh fantastic I get to watch this person for a few hours like Amy Sedaris. Holy cow! Yeah, and um, she's great as a uh, BoJack's agent. Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> she's so the, funny. The best I've, is Horace and Pete, Louis C.K.'s new show. Have you yeah. guys seen that? I've mm-hmm. only seen the first episode. Oh my God! I was so she depressed. Comes, she shows up in the last episode. Oh really? It is unreal because it's like she's hilarious, and then the worst thing in the world happens. It's <laughs> <laughs> like holy fuck. But uh, Louis is a great example of someone who has somehow managed to succeed by kind of being a down-to-earth, almost, like, schlubby presence. <laughs> like, he, he I, I feel like he puts on that kind of persona to a degree of because course. he's such a capable, you know, like, filmmaker to be able to do what he does. Mm-hmm. But it's so strange and so interesting to me. Like, the, my favorite thing about Louis is just his juxtaposition of tone. Mm-hmm. Just one minute you're laughing, and the next minute you're like, oh, my God, what am I laughing at? <laughs> and then you're laughing again. But there's, there's a joke. He's ju- much smarter than he... Then he, he lets yeah, on. then he oh, lets on. He yeah. has to be. Yeah. yeah. But he's there's a joke in the Louis show that I legit think about <laughs> once a week. And I laugh hysterically every single time. And it's in the second season, he's going to see an apartment with Pamela. And they walk into the apartment and there's like a bathtub in the living room. And immediately you just know, oh no. God. No, no, no. It's it's the toilet. It's a toilet in the living it's room. They're like, oh no, this is gonna be and the, the guy who's the landlord can't really speak English. And Louis's like, oh God, what's going on? And Louis walks into the bedroom and he looks out the window. And out the window on the street, he sees a homeless man standing on the corner. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a black car drives up. The door opens. They shove the homeless guy into the car. From the opposite side of the car, another homeless guy comes out, dressed identically, and they put him in the same spot, then they slam the doors and drive away. Yeah. I think about so that joke good. once a week. It's so good. I just start laughing hysterically. It's like one of the best. So it makes. It has no connection to anything. It's completely surreal. It's yeah. the best joke on TV from the last 10 years. I like the one when he goes to see the agent. For the and it's like a kid. No, 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 no. Oh, that no, that is hilarious. <laughs> no, but the one when he's supposed to be getting the talk show. Yeah. And, and it's doll, doll, doll. And then they change actresses mid, like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that was that was the whole sequence with where David Lynch was in yeah. it, and it becomes like a very Lynchian nightmare yeah. when he's preparing for the Tonight <laughs> it's so Show. So funny. It's so good. I will say also, like, one of the great things about Louis and, and that I appreciate so much as a filmmaker is his filmmaking is imperfect. Yeah. 
uh, there are mistakes, there are camera bumps, there are shakes. And there's putty tag. There's, there's things in and out of focus. <laughs> like, a lot of times I'll watch a shot and I'll be like, you know what, I bet that's the first take. And I bet he picked it because he probably got a technically better take the second or third time, but it wasn't as good emotionally. Yeah. And even though it's got weird camera bumps and shakes and, and focus issues and it kind of goes on too long, like, he likes that quality. And yeah. that's something I, I, I like watching for certain filmmakers because it's like, I love it when I can watch something and I can feel like there's a sensibility being projected through the, what yeah. is being shown to me. Yeah. And he's like one of the great examples. It's so banal, the stuff that he chooses to focus on, but the way in which he, he shows it is so particular to him. Well, and but, I mean, he can get like very technical in some stuff too. Like he does like some pretty elaborate long takes. And, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. He and, knows what he's doing. Yeah, but for sure. it's also, what's interesting is the subject matter he decides to focus on because you would think with somebody with the with the knowledge that he has he could be doing such like grandiose things but he decides to keep it very he decides, close to the chest he decides to make a show about about a bar and yeah. this it's oh so God, depressing it's so fucking so good depressing. it's so good um, i wanted to get back to the the channel again cuz with in relation to the, it being pretentious yeah <laughs> like the one thing that he'll probably never admit and i'll have to admit for him is that he, regardless, he does appreciate what people are doing. He, like, we both understand how much effort this takes. It's not, it's not an easy thing to do. And you, like, we both understand that, you know, people are going to do what they're comfortable with. That's totally fine. And again, we're not saying anything's bad. Like, we're not. It's, it's just, we're trying to show, we're trying to illustrate a point, and these are the ways that, it's easy to compare. Mm -hmm. It's it's easy to show because people understand what we're talking about. And while we're using clips from like we're using clips from movies that help us illustrate the point and we're not condemning the whole movie. Mm -hmm. it, there's so like once a especially in Hollywood, once a style gets popular, it's just cannibalized to no end and then it's kind of like when will they stop? <laughs> when is, where is the light at the end of the tunnel? So it was just it was kind of like a hey Hey, you know what? You could do this. Yeah, well, and it can be funny too. Like, and but, and I think you are starting to see other filmmakers. Well, it, it, it goes using, in cycles. Using it goes in, the right yeah. style, and like, um, there was that one we saw, William Housebound. Right from New Zealand. Yeah, and it definitely had like a, an Edgar Wright sensibility to it. But like, for instance, I will say with regards to the Edgar Wright video, which was, uh, yeah, that was the first one that that blew up. Um, it just happened to be complete chance. I think that's the first of your videos that I saw. Yeah, yeah. no, that one blew that's up because first one for a lot of people. I, I, I finished the video on a Friday and as I finished the video, it was announced that Edgar Wright had left Ant-Man. Oh, wow. And that was Memorial Day weekend in May 2014. So I sat there sitting on a video about a guy who no longer, who's now on the front page of every geek website on the internet. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh God, what's going on? So I, I basically sat on it for a few days tweaked a couple things and then I re-uploaded it <clears throat> or then I, I uploaded it properly Monday night thinking that nobody would watch it and when I woke up Tuesday morning I discovered that it had half a million views and that Simon Pegg had sent it to everyone yeah. mm -hmm. so I was like well that's it's really Simon Pegg's fault yeah it's, it's but, but I, so, so like with regards to the Edgar Wright video I will say this there are a couple filmmakers in there who I would be like like I'm not 100% down with what they've done but it does take a lot of effort for instance, uh, Todd Phillips, um, 
the way he directed Old School. There's actually a lot of pretty good stuff in the conversation scenes. There's a lot of like uh, scenes where they go to check out the house, and you you know he holds Will Ferrell in the background, and Will Ferrell's walking around with a hockey stick, like banging it and everything. <laughs> He's just in the background of the shot. It's great. Yeah. It's such a great little bit. And, you know, there's a lot of good stuff like that. And Todd Phillips, I believe, before he made uh, narrative films, he made documentary films. And he made a, a documentary film, I think in 97 or 98, and I believe it's called Frat House. And it's good. Like, he co-directed it. It's a good documentary about the fraternity lifestyle. Yeah. And Old School is just kind of the narrative version of that. But I thought that documentary was really good. So, like, I think the guy clearly has talent. And so, you know, I would say that kind of goes down the line. There are different people who have different strengths. For instance, I think Paul Feig, Creative Freaks and Geeks, I thought it was a fantastic show, but I also think that Paul Feig has a lot of trouble composing shots. It's like I look at all the films he's directed, and I'm like, why are these frames set up this way? And one of the arguments I made to people is, like, he directed that movie The Heat with Melissa McCarthy and Sandra Bullock, Mm -hmm. and then Edgar Wright directed Hot Fuzz, similarly kind of a buddy cop movie. Um, Hot Fuzz was made for 16 million U.S. dollars. The Heat was made for, I think, 40 million U.S. dollars. Of those two movies, one looks like it was made for twice the budget of the other, and it ain't The Heat. Mm-hmm. And there is a certain degree to which, as a filmmaker, you know, you look at stuff like that, and you're like, come on, man. How do you have double the budget and still turn in something that looks worse? Even factoring in the star's salaries, like, how does it look so barely, like, put together? And so there is a degree to which it's like, you know, there are certain things that I do feel we have to, or I do feel kind of like, I'm going to say this. With regards to the Edgar Wright video, if I went back and, and, and edited it today, would the clips be different? Yeah, definitely. Some of the clips would be very different. Um, one of the things I learned in the last two years is, you know that Mark Twain quote? There's like, the difference between the right word and the wrong word is the difference between lightning and the lightning bug. Mm-hmm. I feel that way about clips. The difference between the right clip and the wrong clip in a video essay is the difference between, oh, I get it, and meh, what, what, fuck you, Tony. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the difference. (laughs) So there are some clips in that Edgar Wright video that I watch now, and I'm like, yeah, the scene in Old School where he's about to make the Bed, Bath, and Beyond joke, I would swap that clip out. It's the wrong clip for that moment. My fault. That's totally my my bad. But I still think the argument holds water. I just think there's a couple clips in there that I'm like, you know what, I could have found a better clip. Yeah. Like, I really could have. Because if I find the right clip for it, then basically the argument is hopefully rock solid. Yeah. And you aren't pissed off at me for, like, why did he pick that <laughs> clip? And I'm like, yeah, you know what? But, again, that goes back to the point that all we're trying to do is show a different thing. And the best way to show it is to contrast what everybody already knows. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I feel very adamant about is not using the same clips that everyone else has seen over and over again. I think that film culture on the internet is really limited to the same 10 directors, of whom I've done video essays about like three of them. And I, I, I'm now hit a point where I'm like, you know what, we talk too much about the same 10 people and the same 20 movies, and we need to really move past that. And we re- really need to like use examples from outside that because they can be better. They can be more interesting. And for the editing video, you know, there's three or four films in there that are pretty well known and studied. And then there's, you know, another 10 that hopefully have not been as studied and have hopefully been like, this is worth looking at. If you have not seen Tampopo, go see Tampopo. Yeah, Tampopo is amazing. amazing. It has the. I've seen it. Oh my God. That movie has the best tangents in the entire world. Yeah. 
It is amazing how unannoyed I am at them. It is. <laughs> it is one of the most surprisingly erotic movies. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. And it's just that weird story that goes on, you know, like this random with this random dude. Yeah, that's that's it's that's so great. Yeah, if you oh haven't seen it, have you seen it? No. Okay. <gasps> Go watch. I think they have. Yeah, I think they have a now copy of it ramen. in the library. Now I want ramen. Oh yeah, let's get ramen after this. Let's okay, go to Adi really across the street. <laughs> but. Yeah, you know, I will say, you know, there, there is a, a joy to people discovering something. Like, one of the great things I got in the last week was after the editing essay went up, a lot of people sent me messages like, I just watched Possession because you used a clip of it. Where is my brain? And I was like, that's great. That's the best feeling. That's like somebody who wouldn't have watched Possession saw it now. And they have now seen a film that they will never forget for the rest of their lives, whether good or bad. <laughs> One of the interesting things, though, about the videos now versus the videos before is actually access. Like, I want to say we, but Tony, to, to a certain degree, has spent a lot of time and effort gathering more and more material. You'll notice in some of the earlier videos that you would see the same movies over and over again, it's, and it was really just mostly because that's what we had. That's, we had that DVD. Mm-hmm. It's, it helped us illustrate the point, and it was right there. And now we have more, so it's easier to pick from more places. A lot of it is like the, the video equivalent of crate digging. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think DJ Shadow like just goes into the back of record stores and just searches for something random. And that's kind of how I feel sometimes. Like I will, I will dig for whatever clip I think is interesting. So sometimes I'm watching something that has nothing to do with anything, and then in the middle of it, I'll just hear like a snippet, like a 10 second snippet of something says something, and I'll be like, oh my God, I need that clip. Um, and it, like some of the interviews and, and f- clips and footage that like I've been pulling from are you know really, really random things that I just happen to have in my memory. But a lot of it is just stuff that I stumble upon, and then I just like, okay, save that, remember this from here to here, you know, this might be interesting, it might not be. but. A huge chunk of this information is freely available at libraries and on the internet. Tony is an avid user of your local library. Everybody should go to the library. It is a wealth of information. Oh my god, yes. Please support your local library. Yeah, actually, if there's one thing I'll say, people have asked me before, do I have any advice for people who want to make video essays? Like, this is my number one piece of advice. Your essay and what you talk about is only as interesting as the research that you do. Get books. Get books immediately. Go to the library, look up books immediately. Every video that we've done has at least three books attached to it. Also, don't pirate movies and just borrow them from the library. You can do that. Yeah. Or also, uh, there are times though where you're like, you're trying to get an obscure clip and you're just like... uh, Nobody has this! For instance, instance, on the Vancouver video, I needed a clip of uh, the movie Everything's Gone Green, which is written by Douglas Copeland and I forget the name of the director. Um, but it's oh, a movie. It's a movie set in Vancouver, and it's explicitly about how Vancouver. How Vancouver it, it was the it was the Asian guy going to the graveyard. No, it was no? the clip of the. Uh, it's a white guy and an Asian girl, and she says like, "My I job is to, to dress Vancouver as American cities." Mm-hmm. So oh. a really quick clip of that. I got the DVD from Amazon, and it was broken, and it wouldn't read. I was like trying to get it sent back, and they were like, "No, it's, everything's fine." I was like, "Oh." So I eventually had to buy it on streaming and then just screen record it. And then I had to go in. Which and iTunes actually blocks. 
iTunes blocks uh, screen recording. Most things block sc- uh, screen recording, so yeah. you have to get kind of creative. Uh, I won't <laughs> tell people how to do it because this podcast easy, is it's explicit. easy to research. <laughs> yeah, it's easy to figure out, but it, it took a, it took a bit of finagling to do it and then to fix the frame rate and everything. But I did pretty much all that for like one clip, and I'm like, okay. But um, the other great thing too is if you um, if you're pirating stuff to make video essays, the p- big problem is the stuff that is highly torrentable is already popular. Mm-hmm. So just by what you're selecting, you're picking the stuff that's popular, mm-hmm. you know, to get access to. And if you go to the library, if you have friends who have obscure stuff, if you just go digging, it's a lot better because you find a lot of stuff that other people haven't gotten to yet. And that's, I think, really important and really interesting because the more you dig, the more interesting stuff that surfaces and you're, you're finding out stuff. Like, the fundamental reason why we do the channel is actually to learn. A lot of the stuff before I write the essay, I don't know. Or if I do know it, I can't articulate it. So it's one of the reasons why when the the reason why we there aren't requests is because the videos won't get made unless we care about what it is. <laughs> yeah. They just won't. That's not the point of them. They're like, do a to, video on Birdman. I'm like, I don't care about Birdman. Yeah. <laughs> if you if if we don't care about the subject, really, and it's really if Tony doesn't care about the subject, then it's never getting done. Mm-hmm. So if you want a video about you know, the composition work of Wes Anderson, you're never getting that video. Mm-hmm. Because fundamentally, we already understand it, and we don't have anything to learn from it now. Yeah. The, well, the, the people I, making that request should uh, take it upon themselves to yeah. do the research and make the video. Or, you know, there are literally a hundred videos on it already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Watch them. Mm-hmm. They are right there. Yeah, like they the, are waiting for you. You do not need him to repeat it. I know you, everybody likes Tony's voice. I know it's very soothing. Not I know when it's <laughs> the end of the day and it's frying a bit. But, but. Um, <laughs> and he, says, he, he has responded to people saying that too. It's like, there's already that video. Just yeah. go watch it. Yeah. You don't need me to repeat things you already know. Yeah. So for listeners keeping score, the number of Canadian movies we talked about today <laughs> is, zero. is... Well, we talked about... Can we talk about a Canadian film? Which one? All right. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. So yeah. Thanks for setting up that um, that meeting with Tony and Taylor. No problem. Yeah. Um, I, I would like to have them back on at some point and actually get their thoughts on a particular Canadian movie. Yeah, that that would be fun, and I look forward to doing that with them. Um, so tune in again for a future episode. We'll talk about more Canadian movies, and we'll also sh- we'll also uh, we'll have the next part of that talk with uh, Taylor and Tony. Yeah. Our website is filmedincanada.net. You can email us at filmedincanada at gmail.com. Uh, you can, you know, yell at us or do whatever people do on the internet over there. And uh, I'm on Twitter at Married to a Fly. And I'm not yet on Twitter. No, William's not on Twitter. Right. But if he was on Twitter, he may have decided on his Twitter username. That uh, will be announced in a future episode. Okay. Okay. All right, see you next time. Or hear us next time. Catch you later.